Welcome to the Bringing Her Hope podcast. I'm Bethany Bravery, and I'm thrilled that you are here. Each week, I invite a girlfriend on the podcast to share not only the story that God is writing for her, but the story that God is redeeming in her life. I cannot wait for you to meet each and every one of these amazing women who I know will inspire you to also live out the story that God is calling you to and to give you hope that He will be faithful to redeem your story as well. My guest this week on the Bringing Her Hope podcast is Diana Jantz. Diana is the founder of Hope Ranch Ministries, a private home that offers shelter and healing for victims of human sex trafficking. At the age of 13, Diana was forced into a sexual relationship by an upperclassman at her school. And through that experience, Diana felt like her world had fallen apart. But God, I love those two words, but God used that relationship, all the things that came before and after to teach about his unfathomable love for her. And all these scars from her story together became stepping stones to begin Hope Ranch and the ministry that they have today. Diana, why don't you share a little bit about yourself with our listeners? Well, my name is Diana Jans, and I'm actually Canadian, and but I have lived here about half of my life, and I keep coming back to the U.S. for some reason. It just has my heart, and I do love my own country, but I am here, and I'm grateful. I am a grandmother, a mother, a friend, an advocate, abolitionist, whatever it takes to get the job done that I that God has given me to do, as long as it's legal, I'll do. <laughs> I love it. As long as it's legal. I love that. Um, <laughs> so friends, today we are talking about scars. We're talking about how scars have shaped us. I think so often we think of scars and we think they're shameful. We think that they're ugly. We don't want to even communicate that part of our story. And Diana's here to share us and take us on this journey with her to be able to describe how God has used her scars. So Diana, go ahead and take us on that journey. Well, I'm happy to do that. And the amazing thing was just when you spoke to me before this all started, I was amazed at how emotional, even now, I hope I can get (laughs) through all of this. I don't understand where the emotion is coming from because God really has healed me Mm. through all of this. Um, So just give me a minute. You're good. And I think part of it is is because I deal with people in what I do with so much pain mm. with youth where there where I was and it just so it's fresh to me all the time. So anyway, like I say, I've spent quite a bit of my life here in the US and I actually went through the school system here when I was thirteen, which would have been in nineteen fifty eight. So think about that, the year and what was going on then. It was a, a completely different thing. I was forced by a student that was older and an upperclassman into a sexual relationship. And I was, what I do understand now in working with youth and troubled teens is that there's always things that set us up Mm. for abuse and for things that happen to us. I used to say I had a sign across my forehead, please abuse me. And so this person coerced, um, threatened, and I still to this day do not remember what he finally said that I'm just like, okay, I felt like I had no hope. I felt like I had nowhere else to turn. I felt like I had to go along with this because he made threats to me. And you're, 
you're 13 and you're innocent and you, especially in the 50s, if you think about it. And I just thought, I thought I would be the one that would be in trouble mm-hmm. if, if it, if everything got found out. So I actually was forced into this relationship for, it was over a year, close to a year and a half. Uh, this person isolated me. He um, made me believe that he was the only one, you know, that really cared about me. And so I ended up basically having no friends. I went to school. My grades started slipping. I just started wearing copious amounts of makeup, you know, height when I'd, after I'd leave the house, I'd hike my skirts up, just anything because I was acting out what was going on inside of me Mm. and to me. And what I've begun to understand, too, is that when people around us act out, the first thing we usually do is we take things away from them. We punish them. And if somebody at that time would have taken the time to talk to me to find out why are you suddenly doing this, but instead I just got in trouble until one day this teacher called. There was three things that happened. So this teacher called me into class, and she said, and I really did like her as a teacher, which um, was important too, but she called me in and she said, I know something's going on in your life. I don't know what it is, and I'm not going to ask. But she said, your grades are failing. You're not doing well. You seem troubled, but I want to tell you something. And she told me something. She said, I'm not supposed to tell you this as a teacher, but I'm going to tell you this. And she told me something that made me lift up my head and walk out of there and think, okay, I am more than this. And I can hope, I had a little bit of hope when I walked out of that room. Then the next thing that happened was um, I was actually with this person, and I have to tell you this, this is pretty insane. So my mother was an artist. And we lived in, out in the country, and there was a barn up the road and across the road, and this is actually where a lot of it happened. And amazingly, my mother painted a picture of that barn and somehow ended up giving it to me, and I still have it in my possession. So, um, so I was with this person and literally having sex with this person and I heard an audible voice that I knew at that moment was God. And what was amazing about this voice, it was absolute love. Mm. It was love that spoke to me. And the voice said, because at that point, I had, I was angry. I was offended that nobody was helping me. My parents weren't. I was only getting in trouble. And so in my head, the way I could, only way I could deal with it is to say, okay, I'm doing this because I hate everybody. I'm just getting back at everybody and I'm showing them. So the words to me that day were this, you are only hurting yourself. I was actually able to get out from that place, put my clothes back on and walk off. And I never, even though that person never left me alone for three more years, I would never went back and was able to those two things. And then the third thing that happened was I told you I had no friends. Mm -hmm. So One day, this I was walking down the hallway in school. This was in our junior high, middle school. And I was walking down the hallway, and this one of the most well-liked, beautiful, amazing people in the school came up to me, and she looked at me, and she said, I want to be your friend. And I looked at her, and I thought, are you crazy? 
And she said, no, I'm going to be your friend. And she took me took me by the arm, and we walked off, and literally we're still laughing together. We're still the best of friends after how many years, 50, 60 years. <laughs> it's amazing. But so those three things took me out of that uh, place of despair. But it wasn't that it suddenly went away. Literally, until I was probably close to 60 years old mm. in different ways. And it still affects me in different ways. But the amazing part to me is this. So about mm, in 08 or 09, literally the only way I can explain it is that my life exploded. I was living a life that I thought was going to be my life for the rest of my life. I was married. I had various sources of income. I was basically doing what I wanted to do, and my life, I almost died. Um, I lost everything, lost my marriage, um, ended up in the hospital. It took me a year to recuperate from my illness, um, and in the end, my dog died, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just unbelievable. So I went to Canada for a while, and I uh, was living with my son. I was suicidal. And I ended up going to a friend of mine who lived in Canada, and for three, for three months, I lived there. I was mostly mostly alone, and but in that process, God took me to the place where I just said, "Okay, God, I don't care if this is the rest of my life. If I'm depressed the rest of my life, if if I'm just overwhelmed, I'm going to trust you no matter what." And take whatever has happened to me and use it for your glory. Mm. And I actually, for years, even as a, a younger child, when things would happen to me, that would be my prayer, someday God. So in the process, I came, I knew suddenly I was not supposed to stay in Canada. I came back here, decided to go to L.A. because I had two children there. And as I was on my way there, I stopped to visit a friend, and she said, well, if you're going there, then you've got to go to the L.A. Dream Center. Hmm. I had no idea what they were, what it was, but when she told me about it, I knew I had to go there and I had to um, volunteer. So I got there, and to my great surprise, they put me on the floor for survivors of sex trafficking. Wow. I had no idea this was really even a problem in the U.S. I just always thought it was somebody else's problem and somebody else's children. It wasn't my. It wasn't for me to deal with. So they put me on this floor, and the amazing thing was there was a young lady there who I worked with for a couple of years, and for some reason I felt compelled to tell her my story about when I was 13 years old and how I went through all this process and how God was using it in my life, like in every aspect of my life, this horrifying thing, really, that literally at the time I, I contemplated running away, and I contemplated going and being um, a prostitute because I thought that was all I was good for. Mm. And this was what was going through my 13-year-old mind. So I was telling her this story, and then she started to tell me her story. And she had one that was very similar. Um, And she said, if you can get through it, I can get through it. And so even in that little thing, because I loved her, love her so much, I thought, I would have gone through it just for her alone. 
And yet God has used it time after time after time, different aspects of the story, different aspects of of what happened to me, because just simply because I feel like I just let go. I just thought, God, you, you take it and you do what you want with it. And so as I was down in L.A., I realized that God had something much bigger for me than just volunteering somewhere. And I kind of imagined myself going around the world, you know, volunteering at different places. And then I remembered how I had a dream before my life fell apart to mm-hmm. open a place to help to help women who were struggling. I didn't even know about sex trafficking at that time in the U.S. And that dream came back to me, and I thought, I can do this, and I can build a home specifically and a place in a ministry to help people that have been trafficked. And I, and at that time, I imagined, oh, it's going to be people from other countries, people from other states. And then I came back to Eugene because this is where I've spent quite a bit of my life. And I, I wasn't here very long. I came here with basically no money, uh, no organization, nothing. This was in 2011. But I had friends, mm-hmm. and I had God. And so by the by June of that year, we had become a nonprofit, and and we began to work with survivors of sex trafficking. And then I learned that it's a it's a it's a very big problem here. Mm. It's not something that just it's it's so permeated our culture and our city and all the small towns around. If you have a drug problem, then you've got then you've got a trafficking problem. Wow. And yeah, so. I have never ceased. I'm amazed on a daily basis, actually, of how God has used every little thing in my life, even from when I was a little girl, um, even from, just let me give you one example. So when I was 23 years old, I was pregnant, and we had been invited to some to this church to speak because my then-husband and I were actually getting ready to go to the mission field, And I was drying the dishes, and I dropped a dish and broke it. And this woman started yelling at me, that's the first dish that's been broken. You know, you." I just felt like I just wanted to crawl under a table somewhere and hide. But years and years later, the first girl that I ever had come live with me, the very first day she was here, she broke a dish. Mm. And she actually ran in the bathroom to hide and I says, what's wrong? And she said, I broke a dish. And I said, so? And she said, I thought you were going to be really angry at me. And I said, no. And I told her my story. And I cannot tell you how many things, little things like that, that seem little, and yet it makes me have a completely different reaction to people that I work with simply because those little things happen to me. Yes, I haven't gone through what they have, and I will not ever pretend that. I have any idea of what they struggle with, but what I do know is that God taught me in other ways to be kind and loving, and every single day I pray that God will fill me with His Spirit and to love these people through me, because it's so easy to be judgmental. Mm. It's so easy to think, like you say, your scars are shame, but scars are beautiful, and now I see... I see um, tattoos, I see piercing as badges of honor. I used to judge people for that or, you know, kind of look sideways at people on the street. But it's 
it's them working out their pain mm-hmm. and even their actions. Like everything we do, we're working out our our pain. And if we could just understand that that Jesus is the answer, that he is there, and that we're all in this together. And our greatest need is to love one another and to help each other through this. Nobody, I always feel like nobody's my project. I'm not there to save anybody. I'm not there to do anything except provide love and tools and and Jesus's love. That's, that's basically it. And it's come through great pain for me but I would do it all over again. So many, so many questions, so many, so many thoughts. Um, I think the first thing that I want to ask is as you were navigating through this relationship as a 13 year old, and one of your first thoughts was, you know, if, if someone finds out I'm going to be the one in trouble, um, it's it's mm-hmm. really interesting to me because I've talked to so many women and I also have experienced sexual abuse as, as a young child um, just for a short period of time. But I felt the same way. I was five at that age. And it is it is crazy to me now being a mom myself and thinking, how could I have ever thought that that was going to be my fault? You know, mm-hmm. so so what would you speak to that? Why do you feel like our hearts go to that that default of shame? I think because of sin in the world, number one. Mm-hmm. And number two, I think sometimes in our culture we're shamed for sexual things and we feel like it's our fault if something happens. Like, I, maybe I'm not making it very clear. I know what I'm thinking, but... We do. We just go to that place where we're responsible if it happens to our body. And then, Mm. oddly enough, uh, sometimes in different situations, you may even respond to that uh, physically Mm -hmm. because a touch is a touch. And then that even adds more guilt to it. And I think partly our culture, just the way that we're brought up, how we're taught about sexuality and it's something that's secretive mm. and something you don't talk about, and we should. Mm, absolutely. I loved how you and went. Sh- oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? I was go just going to say, and we should have those conversations with our children when they're pretty mm. small yeah. about it not being their fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was actually going to ask you, so you must have known I was going to ask you. So with our sons and our daughters, um, what would that conversation look like? What is the conversation that maybe you would have liked to have received as a 13-year-old? Well, I wish it would have started sooner, but as a 13-year-old, when when obviously something was happening to me, if somebody would have, like I say, taken the time to sit down and say, what's what's really going on? Because of my heavy makeup that I started using, I mean, I'd see people like staring at me and people whispering about me. And mm. and what I didn't add to this story, which I forgot temporarily, was that this person at some point about halfway through, he told everybody in town basically what I was doing and it was me. It was my fault. I was mm. the one that came on to him and he had his girlfriend was one of the most popular people around and so then that really kind of put the, like, really put it, I don't even know what I want to say, like, just really put the last stone on me, I felt mm-hmm. like, 
because then really nobody, and believe it or not, because I had no friends, when he came back and coerced me again into, I went because I had nobody else. Mm. And so I would have loved to have had a conversation, somebody just taking the time, some adult, like my teacher did, and said, what's going on? I know something's going on instead of that. Like we do, we're so quick to judge Mm -hmm. teens acting out or our own children. Mm. Um, But if, if they start acting differently than what they normally do, then something's going on, and that's the questions that need to be asked. Yes, of course we need rules and parameters and guidelines and everything else, but we need to understand who our children are and start having conversations and spend time with them long before um, something like that ever goes down. Hmm. Yeah, that's... And I always tell... Yeah, and I always tell people, too, like, be in the lives of your nieces and your nephews and your neighbors and the people. If you go to church, like, mm. actually look into their eyes and talk to them and what color are their eyes. Mm. Because when they start acting different, then you're going to notice. So true. So true. I love that. I love how you mentioned earlier, too, it was people were focusing more on your quote-unquote behavior that needed to be disciplined as opposed to, hey, there's this deeper thing that's going on. There's deeper meaning behind these actions. And, you know, let's mm-hmm. be let's be curious um, to figure out what that is and have open dialogue and conversations. I love that piece of advice. Um, you mentioned that there was a there was a point where you felt like all that you were good for was to be a prostitute. Can you share a little bit about mm-hmm. that, how your heart, what your heart was wrestling with at that time? Well, honestly, I wanted to kill myself mm. because I did feel hopeless. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'm not going to kill myself because I did have a faith in God. And I thought, mm, that's not going to happen. And then I thought, okay, I'll run away and I'll go be a prostitute. And I thought, okay, the police are going to find me. They're going to bring me back home. Mm. So I felt like I couldn't do those, but my heart was completely desperate and I didn't know what to do. And I did start crying out to God and he met me. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea why I'm being so emotional about this today because I really, I really have healed from it. It's been, um, I mean, I can look at it and be objective about it and be grateful for it in the end, because I know from, and this may be an odd thing to say, but just from my background and the people, you know, my background, I think I would have been a very proud, arrogant, mm. a judgmental, you name it all, mm. uh, person. And I felt like God literally had to knock the crap out of me in one way or another. Mm. God allowed it. And I take it, and and God has used it um, again, like I say, again and again, all those scars, and I wear them with pride mm. because, because God has taken them and done something with them, which is what I asked him all along. And God doesn't necessarily always answer our prayers when we expect him to, mm. but what I've found out is that when we start praying and God does answer if you if you think about it sometimes for years he would have had to start putting things in place Mm, to answer that prayer the way that he does and it just blows me away 
Gosh, that's a, that's a great perspective. I have never even, I mean, it makes sense, but as you say it out loud, it's like, how often are we like, okay, Lord, we prayed for this yesterday. Could you answer it now? And, and it's, <laughs> it's like, hey, by the way, like I'm working everything together, not just your life. Like there has to be heart softening <laughs> and doors opened and all these things. It takes years. That is such a good point. I love that. Um, you had this prayer that you mentioned that said, Lord, I'm going to trust you no matter what and use it for your glory. Girl, that is a courageous, bold prayer because that leaves the door open for more scars, right? More heartache, Mm -hmm. uh, more ways Mm -hmm. that you're going to have to be put out there using the story that hurt you so desperately. How did you get to the place? What made you want to get to the place to pray that prayer? Well, like I told you, I spent three months in Canada, actually in this beautiful home of a very wealthy friend who I'd known since we were eight years old, but her and her husband traveled quite a bit, so I was literally alone without a phone, basically without internet, without knowing anybody in this city in Canada. I was alone. I couldn't sleep. I was suicidal, and I just started actually listening to this. He's now passed away but his name is Mike Wells, and he only had a ministry to defeated Christians. Hmm. And I started listening to his tapes. He's, he's like I say, he's passed away, but his stuff is still online. That's Mike Wells. And in listening to him, one of the things that he said was that sometimes God signs us up for classes that we never, ever ask to be in. And, you know, it's like we feel like we've been shoved into a dark room and the door is closed, and then suddenly God comes along, and he unlocks the doors, and then he throws Satan in with us, and then locks the door. And we're just there, and that's literally how I felt. Mm. But somehow in it all, I thought, I have been had a faith in God since I was five years old. I accepted Jesus as my Savior, and I thought, I have no other option. Like, where would I go? Mm. What would I do? People die. People fail you always. You cannot depend on people. Mm -hmm. Of course, people are around. We're here to help each other, but everybody dies. Everybody moves on, and God is the only consistent. And so I thought, okay, God, I have nowhere else to go. Mm. And that's what brought me to that place where I thought, I will trust you, though. Um, Who was it that said, though he slay me? Was it Job? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, Mm -hmm. period. And I think we can apply that to what we're going through now, because on a daily basis, I think a lot of us struggle with fear. Mm-hmm. We struggle with the unknown. We struggle with overwhelming emotions and things that are happening that we have no control over. Mm-hmm. And I know I preach myself a sermon on a daily basis. Okay, am I going to trust God or not? Amen. Amen. I love that. Diana, when you are sitting down with gals that have walked through sex trafficking or maybe even the gal that's listening right now and they're saying, Diana, I love how God has used your story and used all the parts of it, even the ugly parts, but how can he do that for me? What would you say to her? What I would start by saying is that I think people, we all carry so much shame, like you said, and we just think that we're worthless and this is what I hear. Like, I'm no good. Nobody's going to love me. But what I... One of the first things I like to say is that whatever is happening to you, it's normal. 
it's amazing that they're even that you're even alive, mm. that you've worked your way through this, and that all of those things, every single thing that happened to you, just like it happened to me, what happened to me is that they can be used. And what I love about these girls and boys and guys too, like male and female, but what I love about them the most is their heart. Mm. They all want to help somebody. And this one, one of the first girls I worked with said to me one day, she said, if, if there was a young girl who is going to be trafficked, she said, she said, I would trade places with her because she said, I don't want any mm-hmm. young, innocent girl to go through what I did, and I will do it because I know I can survive. Wow. So I ha- these are such amazing people, and I have so much, I feel so honored to even to speak to them and to be in their lives because I feel like in a lot of ways that they are the very, they're so intelligent, they're artistic, they're brilliant, they have hearts of gold, and I feel like Satan himself has tried to take them out because because of who they are, the amazing people that they are. Mm. And so I think I would start there and just say, Jesus is the answer. Mm. And you seek him and just let go. Like, it's a process, and there's fortunately there's some great tools around. Uh, but just being in community one of the things that survivors have told me is that, yes, counseling is important. Yes, programs are important, but it's the people that live life with me, mm-hmm. people that take me to the doctor, the people that tell me their stories, the people that go for a walk with me. So you just have to be yourself to help somebody, just to ask God to flow through you and to love that person, whoever it is. And So you did ask a question, what would I say to them? I would just say, you're amazing, mm. like that you have survived the honor honor you and um it's incredible how these people how these amazing survivors that's all i got to say you mentioned um earlier when before you were as i think as you were entering into going to la that you had no idea that human sex trafficking was even happening in the united states and then let alone finding out that it was happening in a local town of yours in eugene oregon um, so for those of us that don't, maybe we haven't been touched by someone who's been human sex trafficked, what, what could you inform us in that, in that area? And, and maybe some of us have experienced it and we don't even know what that looks like or what that, what that definition looks like. So what would you say to us? Well, I would say that probably you do know somebody that's been trafficked. You know that I rarely go to a church or a meeting or anything that somebody doesn't come up to me and say, I was part of that. Mm. I was involved. So it really is everywhere. And I had a survivor say, we are everywhere. Wow. And what's really amazing is that the more we talk about it, Knowledge is power, Mm -hmm. and what your brain doesn't know, your eyes aren't going to see. Mm. And so there's so much online, so much to do with awareness. We do awareness here in Eugene, Oregon. Um, About every quarter, we're having another one on November 7th, I believe. But just to teach awareness, to teach, because I do not believe for one minute we have to walk in fear, because if you know and you're aware the signs and what you're looking for, then you can protect yourself because a a trafficker was actually asked by the FBI, he says, how do you get your girls? And he says, well, I'd go to a mall and I find a girl by herself 
and I look her at her and I say, you have beautiful eyes. If she looks at me and says, thank you, I walk off. Mm. But if she, if she kind of goes mm, and looks at the ground and says, no, I don't, he says, I've got her. Wow. So it's about teaching our youth what to look for, our children. It's what teaching them to stand up and to say no and yes and thank you and walk off and I'm not interested because they don't want somebody that can stand up for themselves. Hmm. And that's one of the most important things that we can learn is that we don't have to walk in fear. Diana, if you could sit down today with that 13-year-old girl prior to anything that had impacted you, prior to you getting into that relationship, what would you say to her? What did she need to hear? I love you. Hmm. God loves you, and you're meant for a really huge purpose. And um, it doesn't matter what's going to happen ahead of you. It's all going to be good. Mm. And just go for it. Diana, thank you so much for just your transparency, your vulnerability. I know it was hard for you (laughs) and and questioned a little bit um, why you got emotional. But I think it's just a reminder to me as you ask that question or you prayed the prayer, I'm going to trust you no matter what. I think the Lord has just gifted you with a compassionate heart, a vulnerable heart. And for you to be able to not, it doesn't matter how many years it's been since you were hurt, you still can step right into that and feel that. And that gives you this beautiful heart of compassion. So I'm I'm grateful that on this podcast <laughs> that you that you did get emotional because I hear just your passion um, for people to feel loved, your passion for people to be redeemed. And so I am so grateful. Um, that that you did have emotion, that you do have compassion. I love that. So how can our listeners... Thank you. You're welcome. How can our listeners connect with you on social media? Well, the best place to go is to go to Facebook. We're Hope Ranch Ministries, and we also have a citizen task force, which is Lane County Against Trafficking. We're on Facebook, and you can connect Diana Jans. Uh, we also have HopeRanchMinistries.com. We're on um, Instagram. We're just getting started there, so I don't think there's too many posts yet, but we're working on it. Uh, So there's all those ways, but probably the quickest is on Facebook Mm -hmm. and um, Hope Ranch Ministries and get connected. We have a lot going on um, and a lot more. We just, it's... um, pretty exciting we've just started a like a support group for survivors so mm. we're working on that and um we're we haven't made any big announcement yet but it's going and we're just grateful for all the people that are really coming this whole this whole covid thing it's not i mean it has its good things too mm. and one of the things i feel like it's done its way it's really cause Christians to awake mm. and be more aware of what's going on around them. And we have so many people coming forward that want to help and that want to make a difference. And I'm just so grateful. That is amazing. I love that. I love that yes. perspective. I think so. You're right. So many of us are like, why, why does 2020 have to be this way? And we, we can't wait till 2021 is like, God is working right now. He is working today. Mm-hmm. He is our firm foundation and he does not change no matter what the circumstances do. And he's not 
not surprised by 2020. He's still using it. I think we think he is sometimes, but it's not true at all. So I love that. So, so yeah. great. Um, Diana, thank you again for sharing your story. Thank you for giving us your time today. And we just continue to pray blessing upon your ministry and all of the thousands of women I know that you will continue to pour into. So thank you, friend. Well, thank you. And I love being here Absolutely. with you. So thank you. I'm so grateful for my conversation with Diana today and her transparency and vulnerability. It's interesting. I thought at the beginning of the podcast episode, it was going to be so focused on the scars. We knew that there was going to be a redemptive part of it, but it's really evident to me that also with the scars became something that she desired deep within her, and that was to trust the Lord. I want to think about and highlight some of the things that she mentioned. She mentioned that sometimes God signs us up for classes that we would never register for ourselves. Remember, she mentioned that there are things that we pray sometimes, and it's not something we would want to raise our hand to, but we also have this deep surrender, this deep trusting that knowing that whatever He wants to do in our story, however He wants to write it, however he wants to use it, that it will be the best story of all. I loved her reminder that she just wanted to trust Jesus, period. She just wanted to trust him, period. There wasn't, Lord, if you do this, or Lord, if you do that, then I will trust you. It was that she trusted him fully, and that was the end of the story. And lastly, I want to encourage you, oh man, can you put on this prayer. Can you put this prayer out to Jesus today? It's it's a courageous one, friends, but I think it's something that will completely change our perspective. Lord, I'm going to trust you no matter what, and I pray that you will use it for your glory. Could we have surrendered hearts like Diana? Could we lay down the story or the the movie in our head that we see when we think about what the definition of a life of beauty is. Could we trust that even through the scars, while they feel ugly and shameful, that he will use all of it? Are you willing to trust him today? Friend, I am so grateful for your time with me today. I'm so grateful for the fact that you guys keep hitting that subscribe button and that listen button. So we're so thankful for that. Well, we can't wait to share another story of God's redemption next time. But until then, you keep living those brave stories with Jesus. I wanted to take a moment to give a shout out to our sponsor of the Bringing Her Hope podcast, Friends of Hope. Friends of Hope is a nonprofit ministry dedicated to the support of Christian radio, Christian events, new media, and activities that share the good news of Jesus Christ. So thanks again, Friends of Hope, for sponsoring the Bringing Her Hope podcast so we can continue to share more brave and beautiful stories of God's redemption.